Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Real stories. Podcast listeners. Great to be back, Graham. Man, it is great to be back. We, Brian and I are just having a laugh and we have been wanting to get back to you guys. We had a busy summers like everyone. Yeah, but it's but it's time to get back into the studio and uh, pump up some content. It is. We The public is asking for more podcasts. The people have spoken. They have. And we're here to give it to them. Brian and I have a lot of new stuff for you guys this year. Uh, today, mm-hmm. I I think, are we going to talk about Charles Dickens? We're going to talk about Charles Dickens. We're going to talk about why Charles Dickens came to little old Upper Sandusky. Um, really? We're going to talk Charles about Charles Dickens and Upper Sandusky. We're going to huh? talk about how he got here, which may sound ridiculous, but I promise you it'll be riveting. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we're going to just uh, talk about getting around Ohio in 1840 and eight to 1860. What was it like? With, yeah, and what was Upper like then? What was Upper like then? What was sure. Wyandotte County like? Columbus, yep. Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. Like, it's a whole Midwestern tour uh, yeah. with Charles Dickens. It's an antebellum Midwestern tour. It is. Early All right. Yeah, 1842. That's, yeah. I think that's right. That's I, when it's starting to. I, 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 I know that typically antebellum is considered about 1958 to 1962, but um, mm, I, I think, I think it's, antebellum just means before the war. Yeah. It was before the war for 40 years. It was. <laughs> that, that's, that's why I say I consider yeah. antebellum to be 19, or 1820 to 1860s. One of Dickens' main things when he was in the U.S. was slavery. He was did not like it, and just Americans in general, because uh, even back then, he Americans liked some were, of them. Americans were just a little different breed. They were, yeah. yeah. We we all we all were, I suppose. So, yeah. all right. So, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. This is episode one of season two of Real Stories. Stick with us. Please subscribe to the podcast and check us out at realstoriespodcast.com. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. All right. All right, Brian. So did did Charles Dickens really step foot in Upper Sandusky? Or is that like... Well, I, I mean, he didn't like promenade down the main street. But yeah, he, he was in Upper Sandusky. Yeah, well, there was no main street. Um, I mean, there was it, no I, street, I don't think, in I think 42. Sandusky, the street, Sandusky the Street was the downtown because Wyandotte County has been here since 1845. So yeah, it was, this was 42, though, and the native, the Wyandotte yeah. Indians still, it was an Indian village. Uh, it, it was an Indian village, but they were gone. They were, oh, they weren't gone yet. They were gone 1837. The Wyandotte Indians? When was the removal act? The, the Yeah, but the Wyandotte Indians didn't leave until 43. They left in June of 43. Okay, so a year after. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be part of the story. Yeah. So yeah. it's good. Uh, there's some good stuff that happened uh, here. So Charles Dickens, we, I'm assuming everybody knows who Charles Dickens is, but he's an author. Author. Wrote a ton of great books. Oliver uh, Twist, Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yep. David Copperfield. And then he David had, uh, you know, a bunch of serial novels. He basically invented the serial novel. Yep. Um, and he would write, he would write, uh, you know, a chapter. Then it would be published in the newspaper and then he would listen for what people were saying about it. And then he would direct the next story in a way that he thought everyone, he, you know, he knew if he wanted to surprise them, he knew what everyone wanted and then he could either give it to them or not give it to them, which made the stories really interesting. It was also kind of the beginning of the soap opera because oh, for sure. know, soap operas were basically designed to sell product. You yeah. know, it's a drama 
10 minutes of drama to sell 60 seconds worth of commercials. The newspapers did the same thing. They, you know, they had this guy, they said, write a little bit, give them, give the people kind of what they want and then you know, stop and yeah. tease them a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, the, the serial, uh, the serial, uh, what would you call it? The serial stories, a the serial s- novel, serial novel. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that's basically what they were. It was yep. the predecessor to the modern day yeah. soap opera. If you want to know Victorian England, you read Dickens. I mean, it's, yeah. he is the most prominent British author of the Victorian era. And Certainly the most prominent that we know that, yeah. we, that we could relate I to. I think, yeah, I think even in England, they know it like he, cause he Probably. wrote about, they were fictions but they were about real places and based on real things. I, I think he's kind of like the Stephen King of the, of that time. I, I would say because because it was uh, you know Stephen King. There's always kind of an element of truth in his storytelling. I got what you're saying. Like yeah. there's there's always yeah. a, a personal. It's like a Kevin Smith movie. Like there's always a personal connection to it somewhere. Yeah. Um. Which, which is their you know, uh, it's their artist Easter right. egg or whatever you want to call it. But. Okay, so Dickens, he's yep. born in 1812. His dad works uh, for the Navy Yard for a while in in like billing, accounting, um, then gets thrown into debtor's prison and Dickens is like a 14-year-old kid and he basically then lives um, with strangers or, you know, people that he kind of knew uh, for the rest of his youth and then eventually gets a job working uh, you know, in factories around town, he, at one point he works in like a blackening factory that just like blackened fabrics and yep. things, uh, and some weird stuff, but he worked, he was in industry in early British industry. He was around it. He wasn't like living the high life. Bluing was a, a that's right. That's what it was. Was Not, he a, was it, he a bluer? He was a, no, it was black. It but was, it could have been blacking. Yeah, it yeah. was, yeah. But but bluing was an occupation back then too. And what bluing was was putting the blue into fabrics. Yes. So you, the chemicals that you would use, indigo, was, indigo, yeah. yeah, basically. But it was a whole bluing was a whole process back then. So you, it took a couple of days to do it. So it was a, it was a skilled trade. Yeah. Because everything came white because it was made <clears throat> of cotton. So it, if you wanted something other than white, you either dyed it black or you dyed it blue, but, right. but not everybody had access to the equipment and the process and everything to do bluing. So you got it from somebody who was a professional bluer. Yeah. Yep. Uh, did you mention Oliver Twist that he wrote Oliver Twist? I did. He I wrote did. Oliver yeah. Twist right before he came. That was the novel yeah, that he was finished. The year before, right? And had some cash. Oh, 1838. He, yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, he, yeah, oh, he wrote Nick- it from 37 to 38. And Nicholas Nickleby from 1839. Yeah. Yeah. So he had made some stuff. He had he had been he, he's world famous. He's a world famous author in the 18 late 30s. Yeah. Uh when there weren't that many of those. You know, he he's a big deal when he comes to America. He brings his wife Catherine. Yep. And they brought a maid. They were recently married. Uh, and right? Brown. Yeah, I think they got married in 36. Was um, it? Just off the top of my head. I'm not sure. It Engaged was right around 35. there. Okay. Engaged in 35, married yep. in 36 or 37. And I remember reading somewhere that they had a one-year engagement. Could be. They took a, an ocean liner um, that was owned by the British and North American Royal Mail Steam Packet Company called the RMS Britannia and the Britannia was a steamer 
So it's basically like a paddle boat. The paddle wheel was in the middle on both sides. It had those two paddle wheels. Could you imagine crossing the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> on one of those no. in the 1840s? I mean, <sighs> I, that's probably way better than it was uh, 20 years boat. before that. Agreed. Yeah. You, you can move. Half, uh, half the amount of time. And it did have sails. It had a couple sails. Sure. but you know. Most of them did. Yeah. The, the, you're almost better off if you can just sail because those steamers back then were just ticking time bombs. Oh God. Yeah. Actually he talks, he, he rides a steamboat, uh, in this story. So we'll, we'll get to that. But, uh, he comes over, it's in the spring of 18. Uh, it's actually in the winter of 1842 and, uh, gets here, arrives, uh, first at Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of, the, that was the route. Uh, and then he came down to Boston, which actually was his favorite city. And I know you well, a city that you know and love, Brian. Mm, it's a city I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's honestly not one of my favorites. But uh, but but he also visited Lowell, Massachusetts. He did. Yeah. Yep. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Lowell was a textile manufacturing uh, epicenter. So it's kind of like the Silicon Valley of of textiles it was yeah and, post. and he loved that stuff he yeah. wanted to see like what people were doing he wasn't really interested uh several times on his trip here mayors and dignitaries so to speak yeah tried to get meetings with him wanted and to he engage would almost with always blow them off yeah. but he did meet with them sometimes because he was also a political activist sure uh, but well, if somebody just tried to be like, Hey, Oh, you're Charles Dickens. I happen to be the mayor of these parts. He's like, um, <laughs> yeah, actually if I have a cough. I think I'm going to go back. Wrong cat. My name, I go by Chuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he did. He traveled up and down the East coast for a while and like, uh, late January and then through February then ends up around April, uh, heading inland, heading West basically. Uh, out of Philadelphia uh, and goes from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. And how do you suppose he traveled from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh? He stopped in Baltimore, right? Didn't he stop uh, he in Baltimore? He was definitely in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. yeah, he went, yeah, did you, uh, Baltimore, back to D.C., back yeah. up. Yeah, he was up and down the coast and then even back to New York, maybe. Mm, yeah, maybe. In, in like February, went back to New York. He talked about how... I, I think, but to get back to your question... Um, so, so there were a couple different ways that you could go across Pennsylvania, but, but the easiest one was, uh, stagecoach. And that, and when I say easiest, it doesn't mean it was the best because yeah. probably the best way to go would be canal, which is what he took. He took the Pennsylvania canal to Pittsburgh, took a canal um, boat. He took a railroad to Harrisburg mm -hmm. and then a canal boat to Pittsburgh complained the dirty smoky. He didn't love Pittsburgh either. Oh, Pittsburgh was a horrible city. Back I, then. I forget the city that he said, but, um, he said that, uh, people in Pittsburgh think, say that it's similar to Manchester and to the citizens oh. here. It may be if it weren't for the people, the buildings, <laughs> the smell, the population and the industry. Literally everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, he was very good at making kind of, he definitely thought he was a little cooler than most Americans. Well, he was an educated Englishman. He so, was. So he naturally looked down upon the, uh, you know, the look down his nose at Americans anyway. Yeah. So, and by educated, mostly self-educated, but yeah. was an educated man. Certainly, yeah. certainly worked in an educated field. Yeah. Um, so gets Pittsburgh, um, actually that canal, you know, like that's it's canal 
Is it the height of the canal era yet in the 1840s? Or is that that's, early? That's a, it is. I mean, 1837 was the beginning of the Ohio Erie Canal. Right. So, yeah. And the, the railroad followed the canal so closely Not, behind. I mean, it the, was like t- within 15 years, kind of. We'll get to that when we get to Ohio. Okay. So he did. It was uh, that main line of public works that Pennsylvania did to build all the railroads, all the canals. They, yeah. they built those, uh, the inclined planes. If you've never been to Pittsburgh <laughs> yeah. or if you have been to Pittsburgh, you know, I'm talking about they used to be all over cool inclined planes. Yeah. The, anywhere where they were, people were working down on the river and then needing yep. to get back up out. Yeah. So, inclines are inclines are uh, funicular. They or, are a funicular yeah. oh, cog wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So then from Pittsburgh, he steamboats down to Cincinnati and he loves Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati, 50 year old city by that time. Um, he loved uh, it. Not, yeah, it was a 50 year old city, but Young. Cincinnati and yeah, in 1840, 1850 was really kind of the gateway to the West. I mean, it oh, was, it was sure. where people would, would leave Pittsburgh on a boat and they would ride down the Ohio river, get to Cincinnati. And from Cincinnati, they could get to get into Illinois. They could get into Indiana. They could go up to Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and at the time, that's where land was. Oh, so if you were a the, German immigrant coming over in 1830, you're going to come down that river yeah. or you're going to go, you know, the other way is to go through the lakes and, and that sort. The but, Northwest Ordinance Territory, right? Like yeah. That's, that's all that it is. stuff. Yep. It's, uh, it's what we call the Midwest now. It's the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he, he in Cincinnati, uh, loves it there. And some interesting things, uh, Cincinnati had free schools. Yeah. He loved the free schools in Cincinnati. No, yeah, no, uh, no child the, should want for education. Yeah. Right. Said the people were smart, energetic, excited, active people. Uh, he then for the next month and a half of his journey is not super excited about any of the humans that he meets. A lot of the people that he's meeting and, and this is, that's a, that's a good way to put that. Um, <laughs> He, he's not very impressed with them because it was a, a little bit more of a rough and tumble crowd back then. It was. You know, we, we like to, you know, we just mentioned Cincinnati. Uh, for perspective, I, in 1870, Cincinnati was the, I think, the second largest city in the country. And it had, and it was, and Chicago was like fifth. So yeah, yeah. that should give you some idea of what size Cincinnati was. She's the queen city. She is the queen city. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I love Cincinnati today. Like I, Cincinnati's great. I'm going to Cincinnati I'm, next weekend. Are you really? Riverbend to see the Grateful Dead. No, we'll cool. see Dead and Company. Nice. I, I like Cincinnati too. It's a good city. It is. It's a, it's a nice great, city. Great. It's a city of towns. Listen, great beer scene. I'm just going to oh, throw that out there. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> the beer scene agreed. is good and the food is good. There's a Cincinnati's got stuff going on. Yeah, it does. So, okay. So he leaves Cincinnati, goes all the way to St. Louis, actually crosses the Mississippi and then wants to walk out onto the Great Plains. He sees the Great Plains is pretty much like, oh, okay, there they are. Hey, and then he they're goes, just as flat and boring as I was told. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then he's back up to Cincinnati. And then from Cincinnati, he heads north to Columbus on stagecoach. So I'm going to sidebar here, Graham. Okay. Uh, You and I were together one time. uh, And and Kyle, actually, your brother was with us too. Uh, For those those of you that don't know, one time 
after Graham, right after Graham graduated college, he took a job in Jackson Hole as a teacher. I and think we talked about this. Well, um, we may yeah. have talked about it. I'm, I'm just going to give this one little anecdote. I'll try to give yeah, the, yeah, the background. But So he and myself and, and his brother Kyle drive out there. And on the way back, we stopped at Yellowstone because I had never been to Yellowstone. I wanted to see Old Faithful. Oh, so, for sure. So there we sat for like 35 minutes waiting on Old Faithful to blow. And it went off. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, it looks like every other geyser in this damn park. <laughs> my, yeah. my point is... There are way cooler geysers at Yellowstone. There's way better Faithful. stuff than the Old Faithful. Old Faithful yeah. just is so reliable right. and, and I, easy to get now to. Now that I know that, I, I can appreciate it for what it is, but it doesn't make it the best. Yeah, yeah agreed. That's the way I, I, I'm sure that Charles Dickens probably looked out over, over the prairie and said, huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I came all the way here for this. But yeah. probably is interesting. That John Denver is full of shit. You know what? It, what would be interesting though? I always, I love when I'm at the ocean. That feeling of looking out and being like, man, that's there's a long way. The vastness, the vastness, yeah. And knowing the ocean, the ocean's a little different, but yeah. Knowing that when you get to St. Louis, you are on the edge of civilization. Oh yeah, and and the only, I, I mean, what we called, and now we eight, 1842. Man, oh, you man. get to Cincinnati, you're at the edge of civilization. Cincinnati, are. 30 years before that, was about as far west as you could go without getting killed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you could still get killed out there. Sure. For yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were there were still native war, Indian wars. It's going the on. it's the original Wild West. Yeah. That area. Yeah. So anyway, so he does. He 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 sees the Great Plains, and then he's back on a boat, back to Cincinnati, onto a stagecoach. And he's going to take a stagecoach from Cincinnati to Columbus to Upper to Tiffin and then up to Sandusky, Ohio. Well, he gets on a train in Tiffin. Right. And then is on his way uh, to Buffalo and then to Niagara Falls and then that whole thing. Mm-hmm. He So once he gets on that stagecoach in Cincinnati, he's really <laughs> out of his element in in my book. Like he's on this rough and tumble road and there's a lot of these corduroy roads yeah which are log roads corduroy roads a log road yeah, yeah. As, as he said um they evidently cut trees down throw them in the marshy areas and let them settle wherever they settle that, that's a pretty much exactly how they did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. well i mean there, there's there's a way to get across the marsh a, really it was a way basically to fill the marsh you know just keep yeah. filling it with solid stuff and eventually the water will run out Go somewhere. somewhere else yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. So he, he talks about how the innkeepers are the, <laughs> the worst of all of them, that the innkeepers like seem like they have the least to do with the inn. And um, there's a lot of these roadside stops that you think, oh, maybe they're going to have anything here. And then they it's were not. They were stagecoach stops, just like Brownstown. They're, they're really just a horse transfer spot. Yeah. It's somebody right. that's got fresh horses. For the stagecoach had to stop. You didn't know why, because you bought a ticket from town to town. Yeah. The the process of getting you from town to town was not your problem. That's what's that's what's known as the commodification of travel. That's right. So once in in about eighteen twenty, when the United or when we started expanding west, um, we had to figure out a way to get there. So that's when travel became a thing in this country. Because you would have a stagecoach line that would take you wherever you needed to go. All you had to do was pay them, you know, yeah. and you get your ticket and you get your ticket, you get your ticket. Especially like real leisure travel. And I mean, yeah, it well, wasn't well, leisurely that, to us maybe, but like. That wasn't could, even, you know, leisure travel is a whole other animal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 
uh, leisure travel was another thing because Dickens is leisure traveling. Sure, you know yeah. that's what he's doing. He, but, he has no business out here. He's not coming here to like well, make a deal. <laughs> at he's this, just driving. Through. At this time, though, this was a this was a real kind of trendy thing for young new, oh, yeah. young Englanders to do. It's like was, backpacking Europe, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or hiking the Appalachian Trail. You know, it's or going but, on the tour, isn't it? That what they call it in Europe, the tour. So, something to that yeah. effect. Yeah, but it, it was trendy for young socialites to come to the United States, backpack around, like you said, basically, obviously they're not backpacking, they're stage coaching, but uh, yeah, just kind of, uh, you know, slum it for a while yeah. and then go back and tell oh, everybody sure. about your exploits and basically complain about Americans and how filthy they are because <laughs> yeah. that's what they all like to do. He learned from <laughs> us too, though. Sure. Okay. Here's where it gets interesting. Yeah. He gets to Columbus and he stays at the Neal house, which is a, it's a historic hotel in downtown Columbus. It's not there anymore. Right on high street, right across from Capitol square. Uh, the Neal house was a f- pretty famous hotel, um, had, had 334 rooms, big deal. Um, you know, Ohio's a burgeoning state and the capital is, is growing. There's no question that Columbus was going to continue to grow. And a guy named William Neal builds the Neal house and around 1818, um, actually, no, I take that back. He, he built a tavern, uh, in 1818. And, um, then around 1842, he began building this, uh, the historic Neal house hotel at 41 South high street. There you go. Yeah. Right you. there. Just right yeah. there in downtown. Right Columbus. downtown. It's yeah. today. Well, it's uh, probably high and broad, right? Yes. Or at least right there near it. Um, well today it is the Huntington center. Like right yeah. there. It, it is the Huntington center. They eventually tore it down for the, to build the Huntington tore it center. down in 81 to build the Huntington center. So, it, and it's been three things. It, it was the, always the Neil house, but it got rebuilt a couple times. Now, Brian. Yes. Guess where William Neal was from. Gee, if I had to say, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, smart money, all the towns in the United States, I would probably put my smart money on anywhere but the 43351. William. However. Neil. As I know that this is a real stories podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go with Upper Sandusky, Graham. Yeah, or he, and he probably wasn't from Upper Sandusky, but he was from right down around the town of Wyandotte, oh, okay. which would have been in Crawford County at the time, uh, but is now in Antrim Township in Wyandotte County. Here's how I know this, because if you go to the Neal House, there's a website um, in part of Columbus's Historical Society. They have a write-up on the Neal House. And... In Charles Dickens thing, he talks about the Neal house and how they had this black walnut furnishing and it was this beautiful brick building and all the brickwork was so great. The walnut was cut on Neal's farm in Antrim Township in what is now Wyandotte County and all of the brick was made on that farm as well. <laughs> Amazing. Boom. In, uh, in little old Wyandotte County. Yeah. In the... Uh, in. In a record of Wyandotte County landowners in 1845, Neil owns 848 acres in Antrim Township. Really? Yeah. That's a bunch of land. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I mean, for here, there pretty, wasn't there and, weren't a lot of 800 acre lots. Then. And interestingly, uh, I didn't I didn't memorize the other ones' names, but there were two other men or two other names 
attached to also 848 acres. They were the same. So, so something about that was well, and and that's what I was I was gonna say. Probably what happened is they had an investor, and they moved here. And the investor, yeah, the the idea is that you get a, a financial backer. You move here, you start lotting yep. off the land just yeah. about like you would any, you know, developing land hasn't changed a whole lot in right. 200 years. Yeah. And a lot of times it was land grants for yep. you know, maybe some service you did in the military. Could have been something. a war of 1812. You know, yeah. there's Ohio, go have it. Yeah, um, exactly. So anyway, so yeah, the Neal House is a great hotel. I know never got to stay there, but I'm sure there are people around that, that I mean, that was their spot. Down George in Bush stayed Columbus. there. George Bush did stay there. Uh, well, interestingly enough, when William McKinley was the governor of Ohio, he lived in it. Oh, yeah. That was the governor's mansion uh, oh. in between uh, 1892 probably, and 96. Probably the nicest place in town. Yeah. In the 20s, then they built, a, they refurbished it and added more rooms. And it was the largest hotel in Ohio for a while. Yep. George, uh, then George demolished Bush, in 1981. George Bush stayed there as the uh, vice presidential candidate with. Uh, okay. Ronald Reagan. Whoa, cool. Okay. He was, uh, or maybe Reagan wasn't there, but Bush was just while Bush was running. there. Yeah. yeah. He, he stayed there. Um, and, and he, he used to go for jogs at Ohio stadium and on the track. Oh, I do remember hearing that the secret service could keep an eye on him there. Yep. So. Okay. I got a, a sidebar here. Um, sure. I, I tried to do some research on William Neal. I found a few things. His daughter married William Dennison. Who was don't the, tell me. What? <laughs> he, who was the governor of Ohio? Yeah, was elected in 1859. I think again. Um, it, whenever I think he was elected in two terms. He was the postmaster general uh, appointed by Abraham Lincoln in 1865, right before Lincoln was assassinated. But he's also the founder of Denison University. Namesake of Denison. That's geez, yeah. That's incredible. So there you go from uh, Wyandotte County, and it would have been what pre-Wyandotte County. So um, if Steve Beeler is out there, there is a connection on several levels between Cincinnati, Denison. Uh, also, Lance Pugh, if you're out there <laughs> yeah, listening, yeah. we're, uh, we're pulling all sorts Wyandotte of stuff County. in here. So he's in Columbus just for the night. He wakes up, and then he's on to Upper Sandusky on April 22nd, 1842. He had to rent a private coach uh, from Columbus because there wasn't a line. There wasn't like a, oh, there's a one leaving. It, there wasn't you, a continuous line. There is was that a, what it there is? Was yeah. A, yeah, there was. A, there were for hire, but there wasn't a wasn't a dedicated service. Agreed. Yeah, yeah I was not sure. I it, that's what made sense to me, yep. but it, that, I assumed that was how it, it worked. So uh, anyway, yeah, he rides up here. The ride is super rough. Uh, the stagecoach driver is like spitting and it's windy, and he's <laughs> getting the stagecoach spit in his face, and he doesn't love it, and then. For most of the ride, and it's funny to try to, you know, we drive to Columbus all the time. Yeah. You drive down 23, and it's and it so was, easy. It was largely the same route, though. It is. I it's mean, that it was, Scioto Trail. Yeah, right. And it's super easy, and he's talking about how narrow the road was that the the wood, it was all wooded. Yeah. And the 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 dried limbs were scraping the side of the stagecoach that you couldn't even stick your head out the window without getting poked in the eye and they're falling in he said at one point all of them fall into the middle of the stagecoach on top of each other uh and that uh, he has a friend from boston with he has a guy yeah. from boston with him also his right. wife and then their maid Anne, and then this guy from boston and they're like just it's a madhouse. In Super there. impressed. Yeah, corduroy roads all the <laughs> way up. Roads. Yep. 
he said at certain times the horses they'd get to a spot and the horses would stop and all look back at the stagecoach driver <laughs> like are we you doing serious this? About this like is where we're going so you really want me to do this yeah um anyway so then they get to upper do you do yep. you want to take a break real quick? And sure. then uh, when we come back, I'm going to tell you kind of, we'll break down what he had to say about Upper Sandusky in April of 1842. Sounds good. All right. We'll see everybody in a second. This episode of The Real Stories Podcast is brought to you by the Old Mission Church in historic Upper Sandusky, Ohio. Preserved from the 1820s, the Old Mission Church is the site of the Methodist First Native American Mission in the Northwest Territory. The structure has since been restored and displays many historical pictures, documents, and graves. In the summer months, you could catch a church service or even have a wedding performed there and maybe solve the mystery of Christina Hag. Get to Church Street in Upper Sandusky, Ohio, and see a piece of history. And welcome back, folks, uh, on this story about Charles Dickens. Uh, so we, we've got Charles Dickens in Upper Sandusky. He's here. Uh, or he's at least on the road uh, to upper. Um, and so I'm going to read for, for you, uh, just a little bit here. He says at length between 11 and 12 o'clock at night, a few feeble lights appeared in the distance and upper Sandusky an Indian village. <laughs> yeah. Where we were to spend the night lay before us. They had gone to bed at the log Inn, which was the only place of entertainment, but soon came to our knocking and got out some tea for us in a sort of kitchen or common room. And, oh, this is good. Tapestried with old newspapers pasted against the wall. <laughs> Keep in mind at this, at this time, as he's rolling up, uh, I, I don't know that Graham and I really discussed this, but, uh, you know, well, as we said earlier, I guess he, we did talk about it. The trees were hitting the, you know, the side of the, the stagecoach, all the, pretty much all the way from Columbus. There was also a storm kind of, slowly rolling in or at least yeah, on the lightning. horizon it, lightning yeah. on the all lighting up the sky so there was lightning there was yeah. thunder like this was a whole kind of scene that's being set right now it was and they pull up to this log cabin in upper sandusky yes which we know is the garrett inn the garrett inn now if you uh go to the elks and you come up kirby hill which People now often call Harrison Smith Hill or, or the, the Oaks Hill. Hill, the park, the park Hill is really Hello, what we Bill. call it now. Uh, if you come up there on the right, right where the Elks is, is the Garrett Inn. Um, it was the original. The top of the hill. Inn. It was really like Garrett Tavern. Yeah. Uh, it was the tavern. Uh, not. Not originally, though, because they weren't allowed to have, uh, they weren't allowed to necessarily have a tavern on the reservation. True. It was, I think it was called Garrett's Tavern. Uh, it wasn't it, called Garrett Inn. It was called Garrett's Tavern. Okay. Uh, it was built in 1817, uh, right on Wyandotte and 4th Avenue, 4th Street and Wyandotte Avenue today. Yep. It, it was built by William Walker Jr. and his, Walker Street. Yep, Walker Street and his brother-in-law, George Garrett. William Walker Jr. had a sister named Maria, Maria. who was married to George Garrett. Uh, it was like a two-story double log structure. <laughs> yeah. So it was like two log houses with like a breezeway between them. Right. With a roof over the top of it. And it's like 18 foot by 30 foot. And they're, and they're barely, barely a, it's an inn as we know it today. Like it's, it's not a. It was a building. It was a log building that you could get out of the elements. Yeah. In. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. yeah there was, it wasn't a, uh, 
wasn't a swanky inn like you'd think of Titanic or anything. This was 60 years prior where it was literally just a structure that was shelter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they they get here to the, the Garden. The Garden sits right where Fort Faree was. Yeah. Fort Faree was built uh, by Joel Faree or Ferry. Uh, I think it's Faree. Uh, but by Joel Faree during the War of 1812. Uh, and, you know, there's a whole story about Joel Faree coming here. And it's like a two-acre fort right on the bluff of the Elks. The reason I believe it's there is because in the description of Fort Faree is the spring, which is the old Indian spring, the, Indian the old spring. Uh, yeah. natural spring that uh, was, was there until like the 1960s. Oh, I mean, it's still there. We just true. It's basically buried. filled it in. Well, remember yeah. a couple of years ago there was uh, yeah the, uh, the right there on Wyandotte Avenue a car like hole, fell um, into a sinkhole. Yeah, uh, yeah, because there's water moving through there. Sure. So yeah, so there they the Fort Faree was there, and Fort Faree has a whole thing um, uh, on its own. But eventually they tore that fort down and used some of the lumber from the fort to build the Garrett Inn. Do you know that? Yeah, I read it in uh, Ronald Marvin's book, A Brief History of Wyandotte County. Okay, good. So, yeah, so that inn is there, and uh, he he shows up to the inn. So he's at the Elks, basically, today. Uh, And uh, there's these newspapers against one. He says, the bedchamber to which my wife and I were shown was a large, low, ghostly room with a quantity of withered branches on the hearth and two doors without any fastening opposite each other, both opening on the black night and wild country, and so contrived that one of them always blew the other open. <laughs> Probably a six-foot ceiling. Uh, so you walk in, and you're, you're basically hitting your head on a ceiling if, you know, yeah. it, if it's not a... Because it was two stories, so it, it couldn't have been much more than 14 feet. I, I wouldn't right. imagine uh, much it's, more than a couple seven-foot tall it might be seven and foot. then you've got a foot of beam you might be lucky if it's if, if it's 14 feet tall yeah if you got a foot of beam you're you're looking closer to six feet probably yeah. i bet charles dickens was short oh they all were yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah the average height back then was five foot four five yeah. foot six not yeah. not five ten like it is now uh yeah exactly so then so then he goes on he, he talks about those doors how these doors are basically they're like door openings with sheets on them yeah and for some reason, one of them's always blowing <laughs> and opening the other one up. I think he 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 termed it or phrased it somehow like uh, a, the kind of engineering that I've never witnessed anywhere else. <laughs> a novelty in domestic architecture, yeah, yeah. which I do not remember to have seen before, <laughs> and which I was somewhat disconcerted to have forced on my attention after getting into bed. Yeah, as so, as one blows open, the other one blows open. Yeah, and even, then actually, even in the cold. So the, you, this was interesting. Um, he doesn't like it because he doesn't have any doors. Yeah, and he then says, "As I had a considerable sum of gold." for our traveling expenses in my dressing case. Yeah. And then I had read and a young, pretty wife. A young, I mean, pretty wife. Absolutely. Yeah. To be honest. And you're you in know, the middle of nowhere. The frontier. Yeah. There are people now that come to like upper Sandusky and are like, Oh my God, it's so like, <laughs> yeah. there's nowhere are all the lights and people. The, so the, this, yeah, imagine it in 1842. The Ohio frontier was a, like I said before, it was a rough and tumble place. It was the kind of place if you really wanted to murder somebody and take their bag of gold, you could get away with it. Yeah. I mean, you just skip town and you're never seen again. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So he, he piles some luggage up. He says, 
Some of the luggage, however, piled against the panels soon settled this difficulty, and my sleep would not have been very much affected that night, I believe, though it failed to do so. So I'm thinking he says, like, if I could have fallen asleep, I suppose I would have been fine, but I didn't really sleep very well. Yeah. And it is Boston friend. My Boston friend climbed into bed somewhere on the roof where another guest was snoring hugely, yeah. but being bitten beyond his power of endurance, he turned out again and fled for the shelter of the coach, which was airing itself out in front of the house. So what, so what month was this? April, April 22nd. Okay. So April it's 22nd. early. So no mosquitoes yet. No, but I wondered what was biting him. Could have been just fleas. It could have been bed bugs, fleas. Yeah. It Any could have been number a lot of, of bugs. Who knows what bugs were here? <laughs> it could have been a number of bugs. Yeah. Lots more bugs. Yeah. You know, everybody talks about the, the bugginess. You know, I, li- I like to use this. Um, if you can't see me, I'm using air quotes right now. Everybody yeah. talks about the good old days. <laughs> but my grandpa told me one time, the good old days really weren't that good. Yeah. <laughs> like you were, you were walking out to an outhouse to use an outhouse. You were getting bit by bed bugs in your straw filled bed. Yeah. You were probably cold. You were peeing in a chamber pot in the middle of the night his buddy his boston friend goes out to the coach and then he says and it wasn't actually that good of a move because as it turned out um the pigs smelled him yeah and looked upon the coach as if there was some kind of pie with a manner of meat inside of it (laughs) and they grunted around it so hideously that he was afraid to come out again and lay shivering till morning (laughs) so not a great night for charles dickens so far and then uh he says, and nor was it possible to warn himself when he did not, when he did come out by means of a glass of brandy oh, for, the, yeah. for in an Indian village, the legislature with very wise and good intentions forbids the sale of spirits by tavern keepers. Yep. Yeah. So this was true of most, uh, by this time, most native American reservations, there's not, you can't bring alcohol onto them. Listen, there was alcohol being sold. But oh yeah, but Dickens it, couldn't get any. Well, I I mean, <laughs> there was alcohol being sold, but it just wasn't at this one. Like it, the, this wasn't the place to get it because because yeah. this was a very hard drinking part of the of history. I think this actually what he says next is you know what the precaution, however, is quite ineffectual for the Indian never fails to procure liquor of a worse kind at a dear price yeah. from traveling peddlers. So it's like because it was illegal. There just, was just real bad moonshine rolling around. It was around. just a black market. Black market yeah. for it, yeah. So anyway, he's an upper. He, he, he then gets some sleep, and he wakes up the next morning and kind of gets a, a very brief visual of what Upper Sandusky was at that time because he comes in at you know around midnight, and it's dark. There's only a few lights going. But then he says, it is a settlement of the Wyandotte Indians who inhabit this place. Among the company at breakfast was a mild old gentleman, a name we're all going to know here, Hmm. Colonel John Johnson, Hmm. who has been for many years employed by the United States government in conducting negotiations with the Indians and who had just concluded a treaty with these people by which they bound themselves in consideration of a certain annual sum to remove next year to some land provided for them west of the Mississippi and a little way beyond St. Louis. So he was there pretty quickly, shortly after the Wyandots had voted. Agreed to their terms with. To the terms, which yeah. was a long time. There was a very long, I've been reading about this and I want to do an episode on this, uh, but I want to get it right. Hmm. But 
There's a it lot to get right. It was a very long, slow negotiation slash not only between the government and the wine dots, but between the wine dots and the wine dots. Listen, you know, everybody wants to think that back then you just signed a paper and two, two people got together and they made an agreement and that was it. But the wheels of government have always turned very slow and diplomacy in general it takes yeah. time. And the wine dots, a lot of them didn't want to leave. There yeah. were a lot of wine dots who were Christian and, yeah. and Moravian, well, they praying had, Indians. They had the, basically uh, very much a culture would, would uh, assimilated. assimilated yeah. Very much they had assimilated, uh, at least to some point. And then there were others who had not. And anyway, we'll save this for a whole other story. But he, what he says about it is this. He gave me a moving account of their strong attachment to the familiar scenes of their infancy, and in particular to the burial places of their kindred and for their great reluctance to leave. He had witnessed many such removals and always with pain, though he knew that they departed for their own good. The question whether this tribe should go or stay had been discussed among them a day or two before. So, I mean, we're talking right then. Yeah in a hut erected for the purpose. So they built this place and the logs of which still lay upon the ground before the sides or before the inn. When the speaking was done, the A's and the A's and nays were ranged and opposed on opposite sides. And every male adult voted in his turn. The moment the result was known, the minority, a large one cheerfully yielded to the rest and withdrew all kind of opposition. That's like the best outsider thing we know about what happened there yeah i was just like i'm i'm kind of speechless here i don't know, I know. What, like i i didn't know i didn't realize that that was described in there yeah uh, that's Not cool basically I, they all wanted to just be done with it yeah uh, <laughs> you know yeah they're just like okay we voted we're going yep guess that's it yeah um in john johnson which johnson street mm-hmm right uh trick-or-treat street yeah you want to yeah, call it that right. uh well johnson street runs right up there to uh that to the burial ground to the to the to where those logs would have been where that Agreed, conversation right there, would have been right where yeah. it is that's true yeah. it's right there it's crazy <laughs> yeah that burial ground up there i went there the other day and i was like oh man like this is pretty cool like yeah. i i mean i drive by all the time and i've been there before and taken pictures but i went and took some fresh pictures uh for my local history class no, and did I was, you? yeah and uh got real close i took close-ups of all of the inscriptions mm-hmm. on all of them just so i can check them out but yeah that's johnson street so anyway yeah it's that's the 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 story and then then he goes on to say um, we met some of these Indians afterwards. Um, they were riding on shaggy ponies. They were so like a meaner sort of gypsies that if I could have seen any of them in England, I should have concluded as a manner of course that they belong to that wandering and restless people. Yeah. So, so they looked like Eastern European. Yeah. Basically nomadic yeah. travelers um, and dark you know, skin, dark hair. Like, yeah, yeah. Just an interesting. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Leaving the town directly after breakfast, we pushed forward again over a rather worse road than yesterday, if possible, and arrived about noon at Tiffin, where we parted with the extra, which was what they called the the uh, other guy that was riding on Uh their thing. Uh, At two o'clock, we took the railroad traveling on, which was very slow. It's construction being indifferent and the ground wet and marshy. 
which is interesting to me that that matters for a train. Oh, it does. <laughs> yeah. And arrived at Sandusky in the time to dine that evening. So yeah. they left here in the morning, went to Tiffin, got on a train and had dinner. Basically, they Sandusky. went down 53. They went through like <laughs> yep. McCutcheonsville, 53. Yeah. Okay, Brian. <laughs> You've not been prepped. People, Brian has not been prepped for this question. <laughs> what railroad line did they take? From? Tiffin. There's a, there's a marker. And I remembered when I saw this, I was like, oh, I think there's a marker. It's, it's not the Mad River. It is. is it? They okay. took the Mad River and Lake Erie Railroad. Okay. That, that was, there, there was a, uh, yeah. Okay. I thought that, I thought that was it, but yeah, sure. there, there's like a building downtown or something, or there's there, something. there used to be a, a, well, there used to be a Mad River bed and breakfast for one, oh, okay. but there was, there was also a Mad River railroad museum downtown yes. tiffin for a while I, I don't know if it's still there okay not. we should actually look that up and see if it is yeah you look it up and what i will warn people is if you're not if you don't know what we're talking about we're not talking about mad river mountain where you can go skiing and tubing well, um but that must evidently be no, that, that would be it like it, it's that mad river valley that went that went from like uh bell fountain kenton area yeah and that Railroad would have come right up through. I'm trying to think where it would have come. I'll I'll look it up. Oh yeah, so uh, in a uh, so that railroad was developed right along with the canal system that linked Lake Erie and the Northern Ohio in the South. Um, and so uh, located on Lake Erie in Sandusky, Ohio, was a major trading trading depot. I'm just reading this here. Um, and eventually linked Sandusky to Cincinnati. So there you go. You're right. It goes all the way down through there. Uh, so on the it, Mad River and Lake Erie Railroad line. Does it give a year? 18. The railroad reached Tiffin by 1841 and <laughs> Springfield by 1848. So where it merged with the Little Miami Railroad line connecting Lake Erie. So Ohio. <laughs> let me give you a little background, a little context of what's going on in Ohio at this time. Uh, in 1837, there was a thing called the loan law. Okay. Cause up until this point, canals were a big deal. Like we, oh, we, yeah. we had to figure out a way to move goods and services from the interior of the state to places like Cincinnati and Buff. Well, not Buffalo, but uh, Cleveland so that yep. we could ship them out because at the time, everything that we did in Ohio all the extra that we had in Ohio and all the fertile ground that we had here, we were growing extra stuff. Oh, yeah. Like obviously as settlers, we couldn't use all the grain. So we were selling it and feeding the East Coast. Right. So that's what the canal was And we had for. been having to send it all the way. Yeah, it was know. a long process. Yes. So that's what the canals were built for to get stuff to New York um, and the Ohio River to get stuff to Pittsburgh. What The best way to do that initially was with the canals. So the canals took what was a, a 10 day trip and made it a three day trip, right? So oh, to yeah. get from the center of Ohio to Lake Erie, it used to be a, a on a fully loaded grain truck, you know, or grain yeah. cart, whatever. Yep. It would have taken seven to 10 days to get to the lake. Um, but with the canals, it shortened out to like three. And with the railroad, it was basically a day and a half. So the railroad came in and they came in fast because in 1837, there was this thing called the loan law. And basically it was a 30% match grant. Oh, I see. And government money. It, well, it was. It was government yep. money because the, the, the Ohio government was trying to encourage 
these transportation initiatives. It's uh, what we would call today as transit-oriented development, basically. So what they were doing is they said, if you put up two-thirds of the money to dig a canal, we'll put up the other third. So you were digging a canal for 66% of the the input that yeah. you normally would. Yep. So there was a potential for profit. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to open up this part of the country, develop it, develop it, develop it. The railroads found out about that and they pushed and they said, hold on, you're going to give all this money to these people digging canals. We can do it better and we can do more of it and we can do it faster. So the state government said, okay, we'll, uh, we'll fund you guys too. Yep, same, same exactly. Match. Yep. So they did. And that's when they started building all those railroads. You said that was 1841. Yep. So they probably came in and he built that railroad for two thirds of the cost of a normal railroad and all of that money was coming from the east coast the railroad money the vanderbilts the oh, carnegies yeah. all of it because they wanted they because, wanted the stuff because they wanted, they wanted it because they knew the more railroads they had the more grain they could pull out of this area and they could ship to the east coast and sell it yeah so that that's what drove commerce drove the transportation revolution in the state of ohio yeah, there you go. That's your thesis right there. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is really exciting. Um, I love this stuff. So, yeah, so Tiffin, and I didn't know this, you know, so he goes up Tiffin, and T- Tiffin's a big railroad town sure. uh, early on. They had that Mad River Sandusky Railroad, and yep. then uh, in 1858, the Sandusky Dayton Cincinnati Railroad Company uh, took control of the Mad River Erie Railroad line um, and built a depot there. In 1862, during the Civil War, Tiffin got a, a railroad depot. You know, and so real quick, because this all it's at least to me when I found I was reading this, it came full circle. Um, so then in 1892, the Big Four Railroad, which is Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago, St. Louis. Um, Wait. So the Cleveland Railroad, the Cincinnati Railroad, the Chicago Railroad, and the St. Louis Railroad companies merged. Okay. It's called the the Big Four Railroad. And that went through there and they owned that depot and eventually it was closed down. Um, and in like 1938, I think, but now it in Tiffin, it's that it's called the Fort ball railroad area, historic district. Oh, and and, that, and for those of you who wonder where that is, it's basically right there at Fort ball pizza. Yep. Where, exactly. Where Fort ball was. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so where, that's where that the, railroad viaduct keeps getting struck by trucks. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like 11 foot. Yeah, they're all 12. So anyway, Dickens jumps on that train and goes to Sandusky and where in Sandusky, he gets on uh, another steamboat, goes to Buffalo, ends up going up and seeing uh, all sorts of stuff up in, uh, including Niagara Falls, but up into Canada to Quebec, then out the St. Lawrence Seaway mm-hmm. back to England where he writes his, you know, fairly dismal he liked lots of America, and he also found lots of part, a lot of parts of America a little meh. Dickens had a hard time with America because you have to understand at the time, England was really hyping up America because they just got beat by America. Yeah, so, of course. So they're making out these Americans to be a pretty cool group of guys, right? Yeah. And it turns out when you come from England and you come over here and you see the frontier, the guys in the frontier were... The, you know, hygiene wasn't top of the day for them. Right. Uh, you yeah, know, right. Uh, it, it was, uh, it, they were kind of a dirty country folk yep. and that's just how it was. And that's, and I'm not taking anything away from that, uh, right. from anybody for being that, but it, it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't romantic. Like they were being no. sold in England basically. Yeah, exactly. So, so when you, 
boots on the ground, you start to see the real deal. It's a whole different perspective. It is. Yeah. So, hey, back to the spring. Uh, they, he, you know, did he drink from the spring? I don't know. It, the the spring used to say Charles Dickens drank here in yeah. 1842. Nothing in his account says that. There, there's no yeah. point where he says I I I had a drink of water from the spring. But you would assume if he stayed here for that evening, and there was no alcohol, he would have probably drank from that spring. What Except else did it he was, have? Didn't it rain that night? So like maybe he well maybe he drank from the. I'm sure he drank from the spring. Yeah, you'd think so. In the morning he had breakfast. He woke so up. So there's probably yeah, he's got he, he's got to wander away from the camp for a couple of minutes at some point. Yeah, I mean so eventually so so that spring eventually was actually called Beery Spring. Um, oh yeah, from the Beery family that built a bunch of the brick houses around town. I'd also love to do like if if Anne Frisch is out there listening, uh, I've heard that we need Anne Frisch on here uh, okay. to talk about historic homes in Upper Sandusky. She is the she is the authority on historic homes in Upper Sandusky. But any anyway. Uh, Curtis Beery lived there. Eventually they, they tore the, the garden was torn down. Curtis Beery lived there in what would be like the North parking lot of the Elks. And I think it's like Enon's, um, uh, Beery. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not sure what that name is. E-N-O-S. Yeah. Enos. Enos. Yeah. Yeah. Enos Beery lived there on the lot. That'd be like right on the corner of Wyandotte, right where the hello bill sign is. Um, and then we know it's definitely not anus, right? I don't think it's anus. It could, I mean, it looks so much (laughs) like it that it's tough to not say it. It's not a French E. Uh, I'm pretty sure, Brian, (laughs) do you know this? I'm pretty sure that like, um, Alstaters and the Beckler Brewers, Allstetter, Allstetters and Becklers, Mm -hmm. Beeklers, Becklers, B-E-C-H-L-E-R, Beckler, Beckler. Yeah. Uh, the brewery was there uh, right there on the kind of North of the parking lot. Um, and all the way up towards the corner there mm-hmm. across from Dan Reed's house. That was a brewery in upper. It, yeah, it was a brewery in upper. Yeah. Uh, there, there were a number of breweries in upper. There were Wyandotte Brewing Company. Um, yeah. there, there's that one. There's also, I've, was there ever a whiskey distillery <laughs> in Upper Sandusky? So, um, Jessica Moon, if you're out there listening, uh, if you could give us about 60 minutes worth of information on... We need to do some sonic digging <laughs> at your house. <laughs> on the Hinkleman uh, <laughs> distillery. If you can give us 60 minutes worth of information, we will we will gladly do a podcast on it. Gucken, Guckenheimer's. <laughs> the Guckenheimer whiskey. The Guckenheimer well, the Guken, whiskey. Which... Guckenheimer and Sons Company. Yep. And... It was the Guggenheimer and Sons Company, and they owned a, a whiskey. They owned distilleries all a over. Pretty good the, whiskey empire, like out of Pittsburgh, somewhere yeah, in Pennsylvania. Sure, Pittsburgh, yeah. that area. Um, mm-hmm. And they, at, at one point, yes, they bought a distillery that was being operated here by McKee and Sons Distillers. Yep. Yes. Uh, but they, it didn't take them long to abandon it. So I'm assuming Agreed. they didn't made last a, long, but they, they made, made a, some whiskey. They made, they probably made a bunch of money because they were shipping, because we talked about the canals. Uh, all of the guys who worked on those canals were 12 to 20 years old and they 
partied and like we're talking rock like stars uh, every night. 1870s ish. Uh, 1860. 60s, yeah. yeah. 1850, 1860. And even back then, you know, the canals were still being used. And they called it Wyandotte. It was, it was called Wyandotte Whiskey. Wyandotte yeah. Whiskey, yeah. And I and that's like at the sort of uh, corner of Front and Parkview. We think. We think. We think. We, we do know, <laughs> Brian and I do know that there is a plat map that... It could be authentic, but Has, it could not be. We don't know. Hey, these are just real stories. These are just real stories. We don't know if they're true stories. I'm just making sure everybody they understands. They are real stories. <laughs> yeah. But there, I think, was a brewery or at least an operation being run out of there that was a, at some level in the operations. There certainly have been breweries in Upper Sandusky. Oh, yeah. I mean, there have been yeah. several breweries in Upper Sandusky, and we, and we know that. Um, and, and I'm sure at some point there was a distillery here or there somewhere. Yes. Um, the, the problem I have is that it, it just like the map that we've seen, Graham and I have both seen this map. It, it just has their name there. Yeah. And um, it does look like a structure. It looks like, it looks like there could some be a structure, sort of structure right on the road, but there's also six other, uh, there's also six other locations on that map where it has their name. Right, so we don't right. need, and, and frankly, that's a pretty common German name. Like it, or it is. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a ridiculous, like one-off name. Uh, so, so the fact that there could have been other people here with that name is one, is one possibility. The other one is that, you know, maybe they were just speculating and the, the distillery it, wasn't never there. Did it. You know, well, you know, yeah. they came into town, they had some money and they said, you know, if we're going to invest in this town, let's buy a couple of these lots or some pretty good ones here. And frankly, the one down there is a pretty good lot. Oh, it's right? a great lot. It's about one of the best areas, especially. So, so if, if you're buying, historically, if you're buying a, uh, a distillery downtown, why wouldn't you say, yeah, let's try to buy a lot here too. And because they, at the time they were lotting everything off. Yeah. So. I, I'm just not ready to make, pull the trigger on. Agreed. If we find right. out like for sure, if we find a bottle or something yeah. and then we're going to do the research, we, we'll do some more research, but oh, for sure. you know, they're definitely, there seemed like there might've been something that may have been something there. Yeah. Hey, I have another good. Uh, so that lot that the beeries ended up owning mm-hmm. and it had the Garrett in on it. And there was some, you know, pretty big trees on that lot. Uh, on January 13th of 1888, a huge tree fell there right by the spring and Charles Sheely cut it down, milled it at his lumber yard, which ends up being, he ends up partnering with Steven and then that ends up becoming Steven lumber. He milled that tree and built several pieces of furniture out of it. Oh, I wonder where those furniture and where those pieces are now. Yeah. They're somewhere. Hopefully you, there's no way to know, uh, sure. but somebody might know maybe again, if you're listening and you, de- <laughs> and you don't want to just send Brian and I like boxes of cash. If you want to just be like, Hey, I actually know My where one of these has yeah, this table. We, we heard it was from. from the spring. Yeah. So anyway, for the record, we're not like, uh, no, we're not looking antiques for antiques roadshow or anything. No, we're not, no, we're we're not. going to appraise your piece of a <laughs> piece of antique. No, but it would be sweet if you know you own that. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. If you've so. got a, you know what? If you've got a piece of uh, furniture that you're proud of for some kind of family reason, just 
drop us a line and let us know. Maybe we'll do a, a fancy little show someday on the furniture that people have. Wouldn't cool that be fun? handmade furniture in yeah. that County. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like maybe there's a tree that was made out of the, you know, the, the old council tree, council house trees right. or something. But yeah, the spring was taken down in the 1960s. They did a whole new water sewer project in upper Sandusky. And it's interesting that when they're like, Oh, we should make sure we have clean water here. They're like, yeah. well, let's get rid of that old spring down there. <laughs> let's get rid of the place where there's fresh drinking water coming out of the ground. Well, when, when did they do that though? I like, think 60, 61, 1960 or 61, 1960 yeah. or 61. So, yeah. so at that time they were probably, more concerned with like uh giardia oh for sure yeah so yeah they were doing what they thought was the right thing but i mean uh, obviously we know from i mean (laughs) recent years that it's still there in retrospect it's just gonna drain down in there too it just leaches down dude yeah 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 down to the river probably seeps out into the riverbanks all night yeah they could have left the structure just for it, it, we sure. think so much more now of like preserving history. And yeah. there was, there was a time where it was just about progress. It's yeah. just like, Oh no, we've got cooler things to do. We've got bigger things to do. There's still a lot of that. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, but, because when I, when I'm on the East coast, uh, there, there's still kind of that attitude of we're only going to have this for 50 years and then we're going to build a new one. Yeah. yeah like yeah. like we don't need to take care of this one. It just has to last us 50 years. Yeah. And as long as we build it right the first time, we'll be fine. Yeah, yep. that's exactly right. But, so Charles Dickens came mm-hmm. to Upper. He was here 1842. He happened to be here right after the Wyandotte Indians had signed their treaty of removal, the Treaty of Upper Sandusky. Um, and that's the real story of Charles Dickens, I think. Have we covered it all? I think so. Pretty uh, well. You know, we we didn't get into the Lowell girls of Massachusetts, but we can do that in a recap if you want. Um, wait, the Lowell girls, <laughs> I could talk forever about the Lowell girls. Yeah. <laughs> so Dickens, while he, when he first came here, he was in, he stopped in Lowell. That was a very educated, it was a, it was kind of a rare place because it was educated middle-class girls who came here, who, who went to Lowell. Um, at the time, you know, the, the interior wasn't developed like when I say the interior, I mean, Ohio and everything West of here. Uh, wasn't developed like it is now. But at the time, if you lived in Boston or Philadelphia or uh, New York or someplace like that, eventually your family, you don't get anything as a girl. Like oh, if yeah. you're if you're the third girl in a family, you're not getting yeah. any land. You're not getting you, any money. You get to find a man. You get to find a man. And I don't mean that. Obviously, no, nowadays that, was, that sounds ridiculous, but that yeah. was the case then. And yeah. and the place for you to do that, if you were a middle class girl, was in Lowell, Massachusetts, because that's where the textile mills were, and uh, they brought girls yeah. in to be young girls in to be employees of the textile mills, but they were. They weren't slaves at the textile mills. It wasn't like child labor laws because in the evenings they would teach like debonair classes or, or oh, like nice. yeah. how to be a, etiquette classes. They would teach you how to be a woman, how to, how to do tea time, how to do that sort of thing. And they would learn those skills at the house that they were staying at. So basically it was like, I mean, I hate to say this, but it was kind of like a madam teaching. A boarding these, house. A, it was a boarding house yeah. is what it was. Yeah. yeah. But you you work during the day. A uh, madam would be teaching them <laughs> well, much different skills, <laughs> but but still looking out for them, you know, Agreed. teaching them Agreed. life skills, that sort of thing, just on a different level, of course. Um, but but yeah, they were teaching these middle class girls how to be middle class people, 
And at the same time, the middle-class boys were coming in and they were learning how to be shopkeepers. So they would be, uh, they would be a shopkeeper. They would be tending to somebody's books if they was uh, if there was they were uh, Bob Cratchit on oh yeah on uh, uh, Christmas Carol. Speaking of back to Dickens, we come full circle with uh, full circle with, with the Lowell girls. Back to Charles Dickens, yep. and with that, folks, we're gonna leave you. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this edition of Real Stories Podcast. Again, subscribe to the channel. Uh, we're also available on Audible and like Amazon Music now. Yep. Uh, Amazon. So <laughs> we're, going we're out there now. We're so big. We're going to be trillionaires in no time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brian and I do this for fun. Uh, we hope that you guys are listening for fun. Uh, we like getting to ride around with you on your lawnmower or on your commute to work or wherever you are listening. So keep on listening and tell your friends. Thanks for letting us ride shotgun. <laughs> <laughs>